Thank you very much, Rabbi Weiss. We wish us Rabbi Hertz is clearly in an enviable position speaking here. I don't see any clock. There seems to be no, uh, no, 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 no limitations on how long one, uh, one can speak. I'd like to begin just with a few programmatic uh, remarks. The truth is, in, in, in talking about Inyan Echinoch, what one should really give a series of three talks. There should be one talk which focuses on Chinuch in general. There are many uh, elements of Chinuch which are common to Chinuch Habonim and Chinuch Habonos. Many elements of Chinuch which, uh, where one doesn't uh, draw distinctions uh, between educating boys and educating girls. And then, of course, there are elements which are gender-specific, which would uh, occasion a second and third talk on Chinuch Habonim and, and Chinuch Habonos, respectively. We're fast-forwarding to the, to the third talk. 45 minutes is, is not a very long time, so I, I, I don't presume to, to be comprehensive, but just to try to focus on, on some elements, not necessarily that these elements are only present within Chinuch Habonos, but the degree to which they're present and, and uh, how they should be cultivated there is something uh, distinct and distinctive about Chinuch Habonos as opposed to Chinuch Habonim. I, I'm not going to engage in, in either uh, uh, apologetics or polemics, but just to try to sketch a, a vision, again, an incomplete vision for, for Chinuch Habonos. The, the, the Torah community is a, a polychromatic one. By, by, by no means is it monolithic. And as a result, whenever talking about Inyanachimach, one can't present a, a, a vision which in all respects will be universally applicable. And, and that's certainly true tonight. Some of the aspects, some of the elements we'll, we'll, we'll discuss, Be'ezus Hashem, are universal, and others are only appropriate and relevant for certain communities within that polychromatic spectrum. And one last uh, programmatic comment. I, I have a, uh, a gift in speaking of, of putting people to sleep. My, uh, the, the, uh, the, the peak that I achieved is one year in Shear when I was taking the role. There was a guy whose name was somewhere in the middle of the alphabet. By the time I got his name, he was already asleep. So, usually it takes a little bit longer, but uh, I, I certainly have such a gift. I would ask you, maybe if you want to grab a cup of coffee or something, make, make an effort to, to, to hear the whole presentation, because in some ways, it's an indivisible whole. Even though each element can sort of be uh, separated out and discussed individually, but the, the, the element of the righteousness of Mishpatei Hashem is only when they're, they're seen as the indivisible whole that they're intended to be. So, without any further ado, the Rambam Hilchus Tshuva presents the principle of the Chiruchashis of free will in a remarkable fashion. The Rambam writes that man, woman, is unique in that she heihume atzmo bedaito ubemachshavto yodeya hatovo hara 
ואוס תקום משהו חפץ. Man of his own accord, through his own understanding and thought, can recognize, can discern good from bad, and do what he wishes. Well, in other words, what's so remarkable about the Rambam's presentation is that the Chira Chavshis for the Rambam doesn't just entail free will, the freedom to choose what to do, but it also reflects a capacity which each of us have to be able to discern and recognize and discriminate good from bad. It's not only, it's not only when good and bad are, are, are set out for us, when we're spoon-fed and we're told this is good and this is bad, so then we can exercise our Bukhir Chavshus accordingly, but rather, that we have an innate ability, an innate capacity to recognize, to appreciate, to discern and recognize the difference, identify what is good and what is bad. Now what's so crucial about this formulation of the Chirachashis, the, the practical implications is that the depth of our understanding determines the degree of resolve. Again, that the depth and clarity of our understanding determines the degree of resolve. Now, let me try to illustrate what that means with, with the following motion. Imagine you have a, a father blessed with uh, three sons, ages uh, three, seven, and, uh, and, and, and seventeen. And for whatever reason, one day, the father decides that he needs to keep, here on it, he needs to keep a loaded gun at him. So he brings home the loaded gun, he calls the, the, the kids in, and tells them in the strongest terms that under no circumstances are they to go anywhere near the gun, and if he ever catches any of them, uh, even in the vicinity of this gun, so they're going to face the harshest of punishments. And, and, and he, he, he reads them the right act, the three-year-old, the seven-year-old, the seventeen-year-old. And each one of them, on his own level, understands what the father is saying. The three-year-old understands that parents have all kinds of funny rules. When you eat, they want you to wear a bib. And every day or two, whether you want to or not, they, 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 they plop you into, into the bathtub. So they have all kinds of funny rules. So now the father just came up with another funny rule. That uh, you're not allowed to play with this gun. The seven-year-old understands that this rule is more serious something more serious and significant at stake here, that he certainly doesn't uh, fully appreciate the consequences. The 17-year-old understands exactly what it's all about. The three-year-old is clearly the one who's most likely to violate his father's, uh, his father's admonition. The seven-year-old is going to be in the middle, and unless the 17-year-old decides to act very, very perversely, it's virtually guaranteed that the 17-year-old will adhere and will comply with his father's, his father's wishes, his father's command. So what this illustrates is that, again, what we said before, that the depth of understanding one has will determine the degree of resolve to do what's good, to do what's right, 
and to avoid, to abstain from what's wrong, from what's bad. To apply the Rambam's profound insight to our topic, in Western society, the traditional roles of, of wife and mother are grossly undervalued. And thus, an essential part of Chinuch Abonus is not simply to educate our daughters to assume and discharge their responsibilities as wife and mother, but to teach them to appreciate the importance and beauty of these roles. To appreciate the Lekofel Sanefesh within women which allows them to fill and fulfill the roles of wife and mother. Kofa Sanefesh of love and chesed, but also Kofa Sanefesh of a didactic and inspirational sort. Let's perhaps review a, a sampling of sources. The Medjish Rabbah and Pashas Yisrael and the Pesach of Kosama, the Yaakov, the Sake, the Bnei Yisrael, famously uh, identifying Beis Yaakov as referring to, to the women, and Bnei Yisrael is referring to the men, said that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu that he should address the women first in giving the Torah and presenting the Torah because they're going to be responsible. They're the ones who will assure that uh, the Klal Yisrael as a whole will, 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 will observe and remain faithful to the dictates of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah. The Chazanish is quoted as saying that the mother has a greater ability to instill and inspire Ahavas HaTorah in the children than the father. The Vilna Gaon writes in, in his in, in, in the commentary to Sefer Mishle that Oviv hu malamdo Torah the father teaches him Torah. The mother is the one who guides to fulfill mitzvahs and go on the straight and just path. With your permission, I'll, I'll, I'll quote some very beautiful and inspiring words of Rav Soloveitchik at, at, at some length. People are mistaken in thinking that there's only one Masora, one tradition, and one Masora community, the community of the fathers. It's not true. We have two Masoros, two traditions, two communities, two Shalshalos HaKabola. The Masora community of the father and that of the mothers. Kosoma the Yaakov, the Sagya of Bnei Yisrael, Shema B'nei Gusev, Avichov, Altito, Council Shlomo HaMelech. What's the difference between these two Masoros, traditions? What's the distinction between Musav, Avichov, and Torah Simecha? Let us explore what one learns from the father and what one learns from the mother. One learns from the father how to read a text, Tanakh, how to comprehend, how to analyze, how to conceptualize, how to classify, how to infer, how to apply, etc. One also learns from father what to do and what not to do, what is morally right and what is morally wrong. Father teaches the son the discipline of thought as well as discipline of action. Father's tradition is an intellectual moral one. That's why it's identified with Musr, which is the biblical term for discipline. What is Torah Simecha? What kind of a Torah does the mother pass on? I admit that I am not able to define precisely the Masoretic role of the Jewish mother. Only by circumscription I hope to be able to explain it. 
Permit me to draw upon my own experiences. I used to have long conversations with my mother. In fact, it was a monologue rather than a dialogue. She talked and I happened to overhear. What did she talk about? I must use a halachic term in order to answer this question. She talked me'inyana I used to watch her arranging the house in honor of a holiday. I used to see her recite prayers. I used to watch her recite the Sidra every Friday night. And I still remember the nostalgic tune. I learned from her very much. Most of all, I learned that Judaism expresses itself not only in formal compliance with the law, but also in a living experience. She taught me that there's a flavor, a scent, and warmth to mitzvahs. I learned from her the most important thing in life, to feel the presence of the Almighty and the gentle pressure of His hand resting upon my frail shoulders. Without her teachings, which quite often were transmitted to me in silence, I would have grown up a soulless being, dry and insensitive. The laws of Shabbos, for instance, were passed on to me by my father. They are part of Musa Ravitha. The Shabbos as a living entity, as a queen, was revealed to me by my mother. It is a part of Torah Simatha. The fathers knew much about the Shabbos. The mothers lived the Shabbos, experienced her presence, and perceived her beauty and splendor. Bezvis Hashem will return in a little while and offer hopefully another enriching supplementary perspective on, on domestic and, and maternal responsibilities. The Maharal writes in, in Gurus Hashem, I think he quotes this in one of his uh, Shmuzen. Haresha Nishtabhu Ha'imahos Bifrat the matriarchs are praised in particular with regard to Tzniyus because the primary praise of a woman and the highest and her highest achievement is in the realm of Tzniyus. Tzniyus ought to be a defining religious quality and aspiration of Avas Yisrael and naturally, by extension, a priority within Chinuch HaBonus. Before we nod our heads, partially in agreement, partially dismissively, simply repeating sound bites, even when true, is neither particularly illuminating nor inspiring, let's take a few minutes to probe what Sneas means, etymologically, behaviorally, and most important, essentially. Etymologically, both in Lashon Mikra, in Tanakh, as well as in Lashon Mishnah, in, in Mishnayak Hebrew, Lahatsniya means to hide. In Sefi Yoshua, we read the passage regarding Rachav, when the, the, the two Miraglim came and had to be hidden. So, that she took the two men and hid him, them. The Mishnah himself and talks about Yadichenu Vitzinah, putting something aside in a, uh, in a hidden area. And thus, behaviorally, Sneus expresses itself in quiet, refined, unassuming, modest behavior and dress. But what's, what's the essence of, of Sneus? In the Rav's by now famous halachic terminology, 
the Meister HaMitzvah. The modest behavior and dress are out, outward expressions of Tzniyus. But what's the Kiyum Shevalei? What's the inner driving religious emotion and content of Tzniyus? There's a very cryptic Brisa which appears in Masafa's Brothers. The Brisa teaches that that one can only be described as being a modest person if he, she conducts himself, herself, modestly in the Vesakisa, in the bathroom. What are Chazal teaching us? Vesakisa is a totally private place. And I think in archaic English, uh, it's referred to as the, the, the privy. What's more, it's a place where a person must, to a degree, expose himself. Not a place that we would associate with sneers. Because after all, we're not, we go unobserved in the Vesakisa. And yet, Chazal say that it's precisely one's conduct in the Vesakisa one in the bathroom, which is the litmus test for whether or not the person is genuinely Tzanua. Because while other people don't observe us there, HaKadosh Baruch with us. And this then is the secret of Tzniyus. Tzniyus means a constant awareness of being in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence. Always, in all places. Sneus is not a sense of modesty vis-à-vis others, rather awareness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu evinces an attitude of modest reserve and restraint. Self-effacing behavior associated with Sneus reflects deference to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Sneus is a fulfillment of Dovra Mal's personal credo and universal challenge for all of us, Shivisi Hashem and It's not enough to teach our daughters to act and dress modestly. We must share with them as well the beautiful religious content and experience of Tzniyus. Understanding and sharing the understanding of Tzniyus is crucial. Not only does it infuse Tzniyus with deep or deeper meaning and significance, it really transforms the entire experience of Tznius. Tznius practically predominantly translates into negative terms, not to reveal certain parts of the body, not to call attention to oneself. And yet, the experience is wholly, with and without W, is wholly positive. Give a moshal from another area of halacha. Avelos, Rahman mourning, consists primarily of isurim, of prohibitions. The avel, Rahman al-Islam, is supposed to abstain from washing, bathing, haircutting, applying oils to the skin, etc. Of the 11, uh, the 11 Yehugen Avelos, again, primarily prohibitions. And yet, Avelos is a mitzvah essay. 
Because conceptually, experientially, the person is actively mourning for the, the, the departed relative. So even though the nihugim, even though the manifestations, the practices may consist of abstinence and abstentions, the key of the experience is very much a positive one. And the same is true with sneers. Modest behavior and attire doesn't suppress, rather it expresses beautifully and with sanctity a sense of reverence and awe in the presence of a Kaddish Baruch Let's now revisit, as we said we would, the, the roles of wife and mother. The understanding of Tzniyas that we try to provide provides an important perspective on that as well. Awareness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of being in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence, which is the essence of Tzniyas, it's that which elicits, which prompts, which invites the unassuming, self-effacing behavior. The self-effacing, unassuming quality of tzniyus is what allows a woman, as a wife and a mother, to assume a supportive, facilitating role. The profound religious emotion and posture of tzniyus allow a woman to assume the role of Rachel to her husband's Rabbi Akiva role. The deference, ultimately, though, is to HaGadosh Baruch Hu, and reflects an awareness of His omnipresence. Sneistic as self-sacrifice, in reality, is an important form of religious expression and self-fulfillment. But a woman's role is not merely supportive. Her religious expression and fulfillment comes not only through sacrifice for family, a woman's religious fulfillment also comes through independent religious activity, and thus, Chinuch HaBonos must focus on that aspect as well. A primary channel for women's religious experience is Tefillah. My father, Zatzal, was one to say that there are no coincidences, and thus, it's certainly not a coincidence that Chazal point to Chana and Tefillah's Chana is a paradigm for Tefillah. Many halachas are gleaned from the Nach's description of Chana's paradigmatic Tefillah, especially significant in our context. The requirement of Kavana in Tefillah is derived from the Nach's depiction of Chana's Tefillah. Clearly, the message is that women have a special Korach HaTefillah a special capacity for prayer, and accordingly, we should certainly be mechanech our daughters to cultivate that capacity. This is neither the, the time nor the place to review the dispute amongst the postkin or, or the relevant sources. Suffice it to say, we enrich our daughters' lives immeasurably by being mechanic them to daven three times a day. Tefillah is not simply a mitzvah, it's a mainstay and anchor 
of religious life and experience. And that's true in at least two senses. First of all, tefillah reminds us of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a mitzvah whose purpose, in the words of the Rambam, that we should love HaKadosh Baruch Hu and remember Him always. That's its goal, that's its purpose. Tefillah is a form of avodah shabalev, worship of the heart, because we desist from all other activities and thoughts and focus all our physical and mental energies upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shilisi Hashem Negdi Somid, which lies at the core of Tzniyas, is an awareness of Hashem while involved in other activities. Tefillah focuses exclusively upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Tefillah is so central for a second reason as well. Tefillah reminds us of our dependence upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We ask Him for everything, not for the purpose of self-gratification, but rather to acknowledge and reinforce our awareness of our absolute dependence upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Thus, we immeasurably enrich our daughter's lives by, at the appropriate age, being mechanatan to daven three times daily. But we also have to be mechanach then, possibly we have to be mechanach our sons first, how to daven. First of all, to daven slowly. Shulchan Aruch says that one is supposed to pronounce the words of tefillah as one counts money. If you ever go to a bank teller and uh, you ask for a hundred dollars in, in twenties, and the bank teller is giving you five twenties, so they, they take the five twenties and then they, uh, they, they take their hand to the sponge and then they check the five twenties again and then they feel it and they top it and then they, uh, they're finally assured and reassured that they're giving you five twenties and not more. People count money very carefully. So Qanar says we're supposed to pronounce the words of Tefillah as we count, as we count money. Chinuch, as to how to daven, to, to pronounce the word slowly, but also to say the word thoughtfully. The challenge of remaining focused in tefillah, again, a challenge which is common to banim, banos, anoshim, noshim, can be met by Ezra Hashem by simply, simply saying the words thoughtfully. Built into our tefillah is constant reminders. As it were, Chazal barraged us with reminders of what tefillah is. Because when you think about it, there's a remarkable feature in our tefillah. When Talmudim commonly address their rebellion, so they speak to them in deference in the third person. They don't have the, uh, they're, not, uh, they're not intimate enough with the, 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 the Rebbe, the Mori Ravta Kemori Shemayim, preclude their speaking to their Rebbe in, in the second person. But what do we do in Hashem. A liberty that we don't allow ourselves in, in, in talking to, uh, to, to, to a Rebbe, to a teacher, so Chazal not only allow us that liberty in davening, but they mandate that liberty. Why? Why do you use the second person? 
when you're talking to someone who's here, right in front of you. If I'm talking to someone who's not here now, I can talk about him or her in the third person. To speak in the second person, whomever I'm addressing, whoever I'm speaking to, has to be right here in front of me. Every time, every time we say the word atah, if only we say it slowly and thoughtfully enough to allow its meaning to register, so we're reminded of what tefillah is. That we're addressing the Rav That we're in his presence, he's right here, and we're addressing him. Every time we say the word atah, every time we say a verb which is conjugated in the second person, mi mitzrayim ge'altanu, Every, every word constantly reminded. We have to be mechanech to daven, to daven three times, to daven slowly, to daven thoughtfully. With your permission, in speaking about tefillah, I'd like to add, I'd like to share the following personal reflections and reminiscence. Tefillah is central to our daughter's lives. Women have a special connection to Tefillah. As such, we ought to raise the bar. If Shabbos morning, a daughter is at home helping out, maybe it's with younger siblings, maybe it's with preparations for the Shabbos meal later, and because of that, comes late to davening. But if that's not the case, there's no reason that we should have lowered expectations for our daughters. Why shouldn't they demonstrate the same appropriate reverence for tefillah? Who comes late for an audience with devotion? Barring domestic responsibilities, the same way it's inappropriate for our sons to come late to davening, I don't see why it's any more appropriate for our daughters to come late to davening. Another reflection, if I may. In Europe, the meaning was that single women didn't go to show. And you see this reflected in the uh, halakhic literature. For instance, the Magen Avon, Hilchus Megillah, writes about reading the Megillah at home for the single women. My grandmother, Allah Shalom, told me that uh, homiletically, they used to, uh, they used to touch the Pasuk, Samachti ba'omim li, beis Hashem Samachti, I would rejoice when omim li, when finally I heard the Harayat Nekudashis li, when I got married, because now, beis Hashem now we can go to Shul. The meaning was that, that, that single women didn't go to show. In some Torah communities, that may still be true. And even if it isn't true about shul attendance on Shabbos, it may be true about shul attendance during the week. But the minik, the minik is, is not to go. But in other Torah communities, it seems to me that there is no such minik. In some of our Torah communities, it would seem that women coming to shul on weekdays wouldn't represent a breach in sneers. They go everywhere else. 
Why not to show? One doesn't need to posit that a woman is obligated in Tefillah B'Tzibur. Even without such an obligation, Tefillah is greatly enhanced by davening in Shul with a minyan. One gains the opportunity to answer Kaddish, Kedusha, Baruch Women can and should enter and leave quietly, modestly through the women's entrance. They can daven modestly in the Ezra's notion, but why shouldn't we educate our daughters to take advantage of the opportunity of Tzvila B'Tzibur? Again, obviously, if there are Oskars for Mitzvah at home, they should continue to pursue that Mitzvah. But in communities where it doesn't represent a breach in Snigas, why shouldn't Tzvila B'Tzibur be on the radar screen? My grandmother, Shalom, was a very, very traditional, very, very firm, very, very pious woman. The excerpt, which I read you before, was from the, the, the Rav's Hesper for her. She used the Daven B'tzibur three times a day. More recently, and more famously, the saintly Rebetzin Kanievsky, once her children were grown, also Daven B'tzibur, as is well known. Why not educate our daughters to emulate such wonderful and saintly role models? When Bach in the Chavos comments on the Pasuk in Sefer Tvarim, Tomim Tiyam Hashem Alokecha. He explains how is one Tomim, how is one complete with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? One devotes all one's kochos to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not just the Eivarim, not just one's limbs are in the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu through action, but the Levavos as well, the heart and mind are also harnessed in one's other session. This mandate, this mitzvah, applies to men and women equally. Let's speak for a few moments about the place of Talmud Torah in Chinuch keeping in mind, as, as mentioned at the outset, that not all elements of tonight's discussion are uniformly true across the polychromatic spectrum of orthodoxy. Now is not the time or place to review the relevant uh, halakhic literature. Suffice it to say that Nimnu Vagongo, there is a consensus with the Chafetz Chaim uh, as the Rosh HaMadavim heading that consensus that Chazal's directive about not teaching our daughter's Torah was not intended for our age. As such, a certain basic level of instruction is necessary for all our daughters. Additionally, if we recognize the relevant requisite ability and bent, we should, in a quiet, sneeze-thicker fashion, go beyond the least common denominator. We should, in a carefully individualized, modest basis, focusing upon Tanakh and Makshava, usher our daughters into the rich and fascinating religiously multi-dimensional world of the Ramban, Maharal, Meshachachma, to give but a few notable examples.
Such learning, when appropriate, will add a depth and dimension to our daughter's religious experience, indeed their lives. Now there's no blurring of lines here. Men are obligated in Talmud Torah and they're governed by a prohibition of Bittal Torah. And we must certainly educate our sons in that vein. Women are not obligated in Talmud Torah. Hence, are certainly not subject to any prohibition of Bittal Torah. But as appropriate, on a carefully individualized basis, they stand to be enriched by the type of Divrei Torah mentioned before. And we should educate our daughters in that vein. Now, it's certainly true that after our daughters in Yitzhah Hashem marry and are blessed with the time-consuming, at times all-consuming responsibilities of family, they'll have little, if any, time to maintain regular study. But this isn't any reason to deprive them of the enrichment when, while single, they do have the time. Part of Chinuch, both Chinuch Habonim and Chinuch Habonos, is that at different stages of life, the balance within one's Avodas Hashem differs. When our sons marry and assume all Hapanasa, when they assume the responsibility of uh, making Hishtabas, making an effort to provide a livelihood for their family, they'll also have less time to learn. But surely, we, we, we seek to maximize when they're not yet at that stage, we seek to maximize their learning, and we, uh, we educate them, we mechanic them, to learn more hours than they'll be able to learn when they're holding down a full-time job and supporting their families. And there's no contradiction, there's not even any tension in that. Chinuch involves inculcating values. For instance, the importance of Talmud Torah, speaking now about Chinuch Abonim, the importance of Talmud Torah, the responsibility to, to, to make his Shabbos for Parnassah, to engage in Masei Chesed. And Chinuch also involves teaching that at different stages of life, we need to adjust the time devoted to each of these values. The lesson should be incorporated within Chinuch Abonus as well. One last point before concluding. Bittul Torah doesn't apply to women, and obviously has no place in Chinuch Abonos, but Bittul's man does. Life is precious. Every day, in fact, every moment, a unique opportunity for Avodah Hashem. Yakros Hazman, the preciousness of time, is not only a value in Chinuch Abonim, to whom the Isser of Bittel Torah is relevant, but it's also a value in Chinuch Abonus as well. The notion of carpe diem, of seize the day, for our daughters need not manifest itself in Talmud Torah. Expressions can and should be much more varied. But time, life, is no less valuable for our daughters than for our sons. And as part of Chinuch Abonos, we should try to instill the value of Yakos Hazman, the preciousness of time, in our daughters. Of course, our daughters, like our sons, need time to relax, 
and is age-appropriate enjoy themselves, it helps develop a sense of Simcha Sachayim. But when there is extra time, when the time for relaxation has been allotted, the time for enjoyment has been allotted, and there's extra time, make the most of it. Perhaps they should say a capital teller, and perhaps do a chesed. If they're not aware of the chesed that needs to be done, if, if appropriate, perhaps open a sefer. But make the most of time. The Vilna Gaon is quoted in the little sefer, Evan Shlema, is saying the following. As Habonos Tzarech Lahadrichan, daughters need to be guided, need to be taught, Asher B'Shabbos Kodesh U'Be'itos Hapsnai, on Shabbos and during the week, during free time, Tihiyana Oskos B'Sifrei Musar. They should they should they should make the most of the time. The Gaon's, uh, the Gaon's particular uh, Instruction is, is to learn Sifri Muslim. The vision of Chinuch Abonos, which we've tried to sketch, is incomplete. I hope that we've at least faithfully illumined a few important aspects of Chinuch Abonos. May Akadosh Baruch Hu grant that we dedicate, rededicate ourselves to Chinuch Abonos raise a generation of Nutsum Tikhanios whose chus will help hasten the Gaula of the Mahirvi Amin.